Colossians 1, 27, let's just pray. Father God, we thank you that you are an almighty God, and we just pray, Holy Spirit, you come and fill this place. Thank you that you reside in us. Lord, I pray that, Holy Spirit, I pray you bubble up out of us, that you don't just reside within us, you bubble up out of us today. Lord, I pray these words that I speak, that they will be life and power, they will be words straight out of heaven. Lord, that you will confirm them with signs and wonders in our lives that you will bring change and healing and release, Lord. You will challenge us to go higher and to go further and to go deeper into you, that we may, Lord, be lighthouses in this world for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. <clears throat> Have we got Colossians 1.27? Have we got Colossians 1.27? Come on, guys. Are we awake? All right, it says, if I can get my tablet, stop turning off. To them God willed to make known one of the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now, go a bit further down, chapter 2, verse 7. And it says that you are rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, faith as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. Go down to verse 9. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. I, I want to start today by us getting an understanding that we are in Christ, and Christ it is us. All right? God does not make room for you to have a poor self-esteem. God does not make room for you to spend your life focusing on the things you've done wrong. He has made no provision for you to spend your time focusing. If you are struggling with habitual sin, probably the key to that is you're focused on it. Because what you focus on is what you become. Right? And what he says in this verse, in, in, in the first bit, in, in um, verse 27, he says that you are, let me find it, sorry, which is Christ in you. So you have Jesus Christ residing in you through Holy Spirit. Think about that. Christ resides in you. Now, did Jesus have a self-esteem problem? Did Jesus have a confidence problem? Was Jesus focused on what the devil was doing? Was he worried about what the devil was doing? Did he really care what others around thought of him? So if Christ is in you, and it says elsewhere that we were crucified with Christ, and it's no longer us that lives, but Christ that lives in us. So therefore, your old self, which was sin-focused, your old self, which had self-esteem issues, your old self, which had body image issues, your old self, which worried what everyone else thought, is dead. Amen. And we talked last week at Spirit School about you can't drive the old car as well as drive a new car. You can only drive one car at a time. And so you can't drive your old self while being your new self because your old self is dead. You know, my car went through this wonderful accident last week and they contacted me on Thursday and they said, your car is dead. It's gone. 
I can't drive my old car. I have to get a new car. All right? And if I spend all my time thinking about my old car and, oh, I wish my old car was here and I was so sad how it got pranked up and someone ran into it and, oh, I spend all my time focusing on it, I'm never going to move on to my new car because I'm desiring the old, right? And if you focus on the old, you start to desire the old. And we don't want to desire the old. Jesus talks about the old wineskin. The word he uses there, like I said last week, is not the word antique or vintage. What he was talking about was off-disgusting wine. And if you desire the off and disgusting, and you get a taste for the off and disgusting, then you don't get a desire for the new. And we need to embrace the new. We need to embrace Christ in us, not us in us. Because us in us is dead. When you accepted Jesus Christ, that's why we have baptism. The symbolism of baptism is you go down in the water like you go down in the grave and your old self dies and you come up new in Christ. And so, like it says here, Christ is in you, but you are also in Christ. You are one in Christ. How does that work? I don't know. To be honest with you, I don't really care. That's not my problem. That's God's problem as to how that works. I just have to live my life as though Christ was living it. You know, you used to have those little bands that said, what would Jesus do? And it was to get yourself to think in every situation, not like your old self used to think, but like your new self. Does that make sense? All right. I told you that so that you can get this next bit. All right. It's not just so that you can have a good feeling of, hey, I'm in Jesus and Jesus is me so I can go around and I'm all powerful and I'm all wonderful and I can do anything. Because that's true. You know that? (coughs) You are all powerful because Christ is in you. And here's the power working through you. And Jesus said things like, hey, you're going to do greater works than what I did. He said that. Go and do greater works than I did. Because all we are is a reflection of God. A bit dry. All right. Let's go to Luke chapter 4. All right. I want you to get that so you can get this. This is a bit of a jumping. But I need you to get that so you can get this. Because this changes how you see this. All right. We have to get God's perspective on things. The problem is that we often have our perspective on things. We have our old self. It's a bit like, for those of you who weren't here, I'll tell you the story from last week, but, <coughs> you know, Mr. Jones heads over to the United Arab Emirates and he rocks up there and he's doing some dealings with one of the princes there and so on. And, and he gets to the end of his business dealings and he's about to head off home and he's in his last meeting with the prince. And the prince says to him, you know, it's customary for me at the end of dealings, in our custom, is, it, the custom is for me to buy you a gift. And, the, and Mr. Jones said, look, you know, I, I'm fine. I don't want a gift. I, I'm okay. You know, I am. Um, I just want to do my business and head on back home. And he said, no, 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 no. Look, it's, it's really customary for me to give you a gift. So what can I give you that would honor you? And he says, look, look, I'm fine. I want to go. And this goes backwards and forwards. And eventually Mr. Jones says, look, I'll tell you what. All right. If you want to give me a gift, give me a golf club. And, and the prince says, sure. No worries. Okay. And he goes on home. And he comes back home. And two weeks later, there's a knock on the door. 
And he opens the door, and the gentleman says, are you Mr. Jones? He says, yes, I'm Mr. Jones. He says, would you like to follow me? I'd like to take you to your golf club. And he says, sorry? He says, I'd like to take you to your golf club. All right, he's thinking, Mr. Jones is thinking, you know, a 9-9. But the prince is thinking an 18-hole, full with lakes, bunkers, golf club. You know, one's thinking the 9-9, the other one's thinking real estate. That's how we are with God. We're thinking, oh, God wants to give us this little bit. He thinks universe. I mean, uh, I mean, I know I'm repeating a bit of last Sunday night, but I really want you to get this before we go into this next bit. It's important to understand how God thinks, that it's so much... You know, he says... Our thoughts are not his thoughts, and our ways are not his ways. That his thoughts are so much higher than ours. You know, I mean, they say asteroids out there. Each asteroid has trillions of dollars worth of minerals inside it. And what's an asteroid? It's the leftover stuff from the planets. It's God's space junk. You know, and NASA's working hard to work out how they can pull this space junk down onto earth because the minerals in it are so valuable. That's how God thinks, that his junk is more valuable than how we think. You know, we're thinking, how do I pay my power bill? God thinks, how do you power the universe? His thinking is so much higher, and we have to change how we think that we hold on to little stuff and bits here. I mean, as a church, we're going through that transition. You know, we've been paying this much for rent. We've been paying this much for bill, that much bill. When we moved in here, our bills have gone through the roof. Our costs have gone through the roof. We pay more in a month in this place than we paid in a year in our previous place. That's a transition that we have to make as a church. And if you're not thinking like Jesus thinks, that can scare the bejeebies out of you. Now, also, the income goes up with that, obviously, because we have an income stream that helps pay for that. So you have to be smart in things. But, but this is how God is. He wants us to increase how we think about things. He wants us to change our thinking from this is how I used to do and what I can do and my limitations to Christ is in me and I am in Christ. Therefore, all things are possible. You need to go higher. We need to go further. We need to think bigger than our own backyard. Because that's how God thinks. He says, look, I own the cattle on a thousand hills. He says, the silver and gold is mine. So what's your problem? He actually says, you know what? If you want to take the you know, he says, don't worry about your needs. He actually, if you really take that down to his, his fine translation, he's actually saying, don't even think about what you need. It's almost like, don't insult me by asking for your needs because my God supplies all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. He says, go beyond that and get into the real stuff. And stop focusing on your needs. Because if you focus on what you need right now, your power bill, your light bill, you know, how to pay your car payment, whatever it is, if that is consuming you and that's all you can see, then you don't see God and you don't see Jesus and you don't see what he has for you. 
He says, don't focus on these things. Just give them over to me. I'll take care of them and seek first my kingdom. How do you seek first his kingdom? You do what Jesus did because Christ is in you. And he says, I'll take care of all those things. Just seek me first. So let's go in Luke chapter 4, right? Are we there? Luke 4 verse 18. This is one of the first sermons Jesus preached. He said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, proclaim liberty to captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And he says he closed the book, and he went on and talked a bit about it. He says, This has been fulfilled in your hearing. In other words, Jesus fulfilled that scripture, which is out of Isaiah 61. And as he says further on, that he went around preaching this same sermon, saying, I'm the fulfillment of this. Now, what strikes me about this is, if Christ, if Jesus is the fulfillment of this passage, and Jesus is in you, and we are in Jesus, then we too should be living out this passage. Does that make sense? Because Jesus said, this is my ministry. This is what I'm here to do. So, how do you be like Jesus? It's really easy. You be like this thing. First of all, it says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He's anointed us. The same Holy Spirit that anointed Jesus has anointed you. You have the same Holy Spirit in you that Jesus had. So that means you can do anything that Jesus did. You can walk on water. Do you know that? It's possible for you to walk on water. You can float up into the clouds. See, we've told ourselves we can't do these things. But if Jesus did it and he had the same Holy Spirit we've got and you're within the will of the Father, you can do these things. If you need to walk on water to do something, then you have the power to do that according to your faith. You getting your head around that? See, his thoughts are so much higher. See, before Jesus came, nobody walked on water, did they? We might have had an axe head float and things like that, but nobody thought to walk on the water. But it's like the four-minute mile, you know? They said you couldn't, no man could run quicker. No one could ever break the four-minute mile, run a mile in four minutes. All right, and they said they, they actually scientifically proved that it was impossible for man to do it. And so everybody convinced themselves they couldn't do it. And then old Bannister came along and did it. And everyone went, oh, maybe you can. Within the next six months, five other people broke the four-minute mile. What stopped them before? They didn't think they could. Jesus did the same thing. He did those things to show us what we should be doing. And we've, we've let the devil convince us that we shouldn't be doing them. You can lay hands on the sick and they will recover. Because that's what Jesus did. If someone comes to you blind, you can open their eyes. You don't go, oh, take him to the pastor, take him to the priest, take him to so-and-so. You. You. Let, let's go to, let me read to you from 1 Peter chapter 2. Don't go there, unless you really want to. But let me, let me give you quickly out of 1 Peter, chapter 2. This is what Peter, Peter, the disciple Peter, you know, Peter, upon you I'll build my rock. All right, this is what he said. <coughs> he said, you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, 
His own special people, you may proclaim the praise of him who called you out of darkness into the marvelous light. So you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. And he wasn't talking to the pastors. And he wasn't talking to the priests. He was talking to the people. He says, you're not just an ordinary priest in the order of God. You're a royal priest. You're a priest of the highest order. We've got to change how we think about ourselves. We always think we're not good enough. You'll never be good enough because you're dead, remember? You're dead. So it doesn't matter about you, does it? It matters about Christ in you. We've got to change how we think. It's not about what we can do. It's what Christ in us can do. So what can he do? He says, this is what Jesus said. This is what I did. This is what you're called to do. So he's anointed you to preach the gospel to the poor. You know, people say to me, oh, I'm not in full-time ministry. Oh, I'm, you know, I'm, not a, I'm not a pastor. I'm, I'm not paid to be in ministry and I'm not called to be in ministry. So, so preaching isn't my thing. I got news for you. Wherever God's put you, you're in full-time ministry. It's got nothing to do with being paid. It's got nothing to do with having a microphone and standing in the front of a congregation. It's got everything to do that where God has put you is your ministry field. God has put you there not to build something, not to teach something, not to fix something. He's put you where you are to reach out to those people that they may know Jesus. Because everything else we do is going to pass away. Isn't that right? You know, they come in here and I manage this place during the week and the kids come and play. But all this is going to pass away one day. The only thing that's going to remain is the people that come in here. So they are my ministry field. So my job is to connect them with Jesus. And wherever you are, it's the same thing. Regardless of what you're doing, you are there for the sole purpose of sharing Jesus with those people. We're told in Mark that we are to be his witnesses. What does a witness do? A witness just says, this is what God's done in my life. You know, if you stand in the witness stand, in a trial, they'll say, you just have to say what you've seen and heard. That's all you have to do in your workplace, is tell people what God has done for you. And if you haven't got any stories, steal someone else's. This is what God did for them. You don't have to be eloquent. You don't have to know everything in the Bible. You don't have to be saved 400 years to be able to share your faith. All you have to do is share what Jesus did for you. That's preaching. And that's more effective than anything I can do from the front. Because they know you. They know the real you. What's and all. But because Christ is in you, you just have to share what he did with you. Preach the good news to the poor. My tablet will stop turning off. Who's the poor? The poor is someone who is lacking anything. They could be financial lack. They could be lacking in health. They could be lacking in relationships. Or they could be lacking in Jesus. You know, I had a conversation yesterday with somebody who's, who's struggling with some sickness. And I was talking about a guy called Charles Cap wrote some really good stuff on, um, on healing and God's healing power. And he wrote this little book, and, and just being able to share with them, they got real excited that they could actually be healed by reading the Word of God. 
So I ordered a whole lot of books this afternoon. I'm going to send one off to them and, and so on. But what was that person needing? They were needing the healing touch of Jesus. They were poor in health. So you just share that Jesus heals. If someone's lacking financially, then you just share that God provides. And help them out if you want to. Because it's not our stuff anyway, is it? It's all Jesus's. Yeah? It's all going to pass away. It's all pointless. Why hold on to it? You know, there's the guy that, that you know, he, he pleaded with God. His one, one thing in life was he wanted to be able to take something into heaven. And eventually God relented and he says, you can take one thing with you. And so he rocks up. He had this, you know, he had this gold bar. And it was, you know, absolutely pure gold. And he rocks up at, in heaven. He's got this pure gold. And, and Peter was at the gate. And, and he says, oh, he comes up and he walks to the gate and Peter says to him, you know, you so-and-so, yes, yes, yes. He says, come on through. He says, what's that you've got there? You can't bring something in. He says, oh, no, God said I can bring this in. You know, I got, you know, so he checks his file and, you know, brings up Jesus. And Jesus said, yeah, 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 we cleared that. And he said, Peter says to him, okay, that's fine. He said, but can you explain to me, why do you want to bring a paving brick into heaven? Because a gold bar, I mean, they pave heaven with it. Yeah, so we can't take it with us. So we might as well use it here for the kingdom, yeah? So if you see someone in need, meet the need. Or at least part of the need. <coughs> All right, heal. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted. If someone is broken, they need healing. If someone is without love, they need healing. Who's the greatest healer? Jesus. You can be that person. You can bring that healing just by being the person who listens being the person who talks with them, you can share Jesus. Liberty to those who are captive, to those who are bound within their life, bound within the situations. You have the power in Jesus to actually pray with somebody to be set free. I'm not talking about breaking people out of prison. I'm talking people in prison of their own torment, their own life. Their own, think about what your life was like before Jesus was in it. Was it like being bound in prison? Was it like being caught up in yourself and your world? But when Jesus came into your life, he set you free. You suddenly discovered hope. That's why we have so many Docker supporters in this place. Because we're a church that brings hope to those who have none. Just had to slip that one in there. <laughs> Sorry? <laughs> Keep it above the belt. <laughs> they don't need hope. They're already at the top. <laughs> all right? But, but we are, but you have the opportunity because of all you have to tell is what Jesus did for you. I mean, I grew up in the church. You know, my parents were missionaries. I, I've had it all my life. But you know what? I've still got stories of what Jesus did for me. Because I had to discover Jesus for myself. God has no grandchildren. He only has children. You know? And so everybody's got a story to tell. And you could have been saved yesterday. You could have been saved 55 years ago. It doesn't matter. You've got a story to tell of what Jesus has done for you. And there are people out there who are drowning in their own turmoil. Their hearts are broken and they have no hope. And they may smile, but inside, 
they're hurting and they're afraid. And we have Jesus. We have Christ in us and we are in him. We have the hope. And how selfish is it for us not to share that? That we don't meet somebody's need, whatever it is, when we can. And the sad part is one day we have to stand before Jesus and give account for that. But don't go to the negative side. Go to the positive side. Change somebody's life. Make a decision that you are going to be a world changer. You want to change the world? You change it one person at a time. You know, last night at the, you know, the Bower Renewable, Dale and I did our whole ceremony, and then, you know, we all went to the Arrow Lawn, and then afterwards we had a, you know, a bit of a dinner and stuff, and, and there was a, a couple of people there that have, one girl who has been with that 20 years ago in our youth ministry, she came in as a 12-year-old, totally green and heading down the wrong path, walked into our youth group and got amazingly saved. And now she's married, got these beautiful children, and they're, they're associate, been associate pastors in a church, and she's running a women's groups and doing amazing things. And, and she stood at our front door just in tears, saying, you know, 20 years ago, you changed my life. 20 years ago, you saved me from what was totally the wrong path. Because she was in a wrong relationship at 12, and heading fast into a path that was going nowhere good. But God stepped in simply because we shared our story with her of what Jesus did for us. And she said, I want that. And now 20 years on, she, every weekend and went out, is sharing her story and seeing other people know. See, that's how you change the world. You change one life. You know, we talked about it when we first started this church, about a thing called the power of one. That if we all shared our story with one person and they came to know Jesus in a year. You know what would happen? There'd be twice as many people in this church in the kingdom of God. Isn't that exciting? If we did it every six months, then that means that twice a year, we'd, we'd double as a congregation. And then that's exciting because we want to double, but you know what? That would mean like 60 people getting saved in every six months' time. And in 12 months, there'd be 120 of us, so 240 people would know Jesus just because we shared our story. Isn't that cool? That's 240 people who are on a one-way trip to hell who are now, Christ is in them, and they are in Jesus. And if we did that every year, do you know that? You know, think of it as about eight or nine, that's in 11 years, isn't it? Within 11 years... Over a million people would know Jesus. Just by you sharing your story because somebody needs to hear it. Just winning one person every six months. Imagine if you did that every month. Imagine if you did it every week. How about every day? Because reality is, not everybody hears your story and wants to hear it. I'll be honest with you. Okay? Not everybody grabs a hold of what you're saying at that time. Sometimes they come back a bit later. Sometimes they take a long time. Some people don't make it. 
But that's not our responsibility. Our responsibility is to share our story, to say what Jesus has done for us, because we have a responsibility higher than anything else to share Jesus. And the most selfish thing we can do is say, Christ is in me, and I'm in Christ, and I don't care about anyone else. And you may not say that, but if you never share your faith, you're saying that. Because you know what I've discovered? It's not what you say that determines who you are. It's what you do. What you say is highly important, but it's what you do that shows what you really believe. So I've got a challenge for you. To share your faith tomorrow. Not this week, tomorrow. To make a decision to say, Jesus is in me and I'm in him and that's actually really important. And I'm not just the sort of person that rocks up and gets into church and sits there and goes, oh, this is all good for me. I'm the sort of person that wants to make a difference. I'm the sort of person who actually has the love of God in them. I'm the sort of person who cares and I will do whatever I can so that others may know Jesus because that's the highest thing you can do. So my challenge is tomorrow, share something that God has done with your life with somebody who doesn't know him. Knock on your neighbor's door. Find somebody you work with, some random stranger on the street. I don't care who it is. You know, Annette will go into a coffee shop and pick somebody out at random. That, that's the person. Holy Spirit lead them, pick him at the table, sit down with them, and hey, there it is. Other times she's just sitting there and they come up to her. So, you know, when you get going, it really gets flowing, yeah? But there's my challenge. Share your story tomorrow. It'll be challenging. It'll push you if you've never done it before. But do it. And here's the rule of management. I teach all my managers when I do management training. The thing that you find the hardest, you do first. And then everything else, the rest of the day is easy. You know that? Yeah, you, those phone calls you don't want to make, those emails you don't want to write, those things you don't want to do. If you actually do those first, here's a management tip, all right? I charge for this. This is worth $1,000. Do a $1,000 course for this, seriously. All right? You get it for free because I care about you. All right? But what you do is the thing you don't want to do every day, when you write down your list of things you need to do, the thing you don't want to do, you do that first. Otherwise, you actually put it off. Then you want not, you put everything else on the list off as well. And you never get anything done. So you do the thing you don't like doing first, and then everything else becomes easy for the rest of the day. Because it's never as bad as what you thought. And the more you think about it, the worse it gets. So... If you've never shared your faith before and you're going, oh, that's really challenging and that's really pushing me out there, just sharing something that Jesus did in my life and I don't know if I know enough. And all right, So get it out of your head and go and do it tonight. Get ahead of the game. Pick up your phone. Ring somebody. How you doing? Hey, this is what happened to me. Did I tell you this story? Get it done. But you know what? When you start doing it, gets under your skin because it's Christ in you. And when you do it once, you want to do it again. And you know what? You'll make a habit of it. And then an awesome habit to have of sharing Jesus. Just think, if you did that every day, you did it every week, you did it every month, you did it every year, how many people you could change? Because the highest thing, you know, I look back over the last, I've been in ministry for 30-something years. 
I did 14 years of youth group before I became a full pastor. But you know what I remember most? In fact, the only things I can really remember really clearly is the people that came to know Jesus. I can tell you with most people who have been through our ministry when they came to know Jesus. I may not know anything about it. I may forget kids' names. I may forget surnames. I may forget birth dates and all those other things. But I can tell you when they came to Jesus. Because that's the highest thing we can do. Nothing else matters. He said, they are in the kingdom of God and becoming like Jesus made them to be. So I challenge you. Share your faith tomorrow. By this time tomorrow night, sit down and go, I did it. I shared a Jesus story with somebody. I just said what Jesus did for me. That I was in this place and driving down the road and, and God spoke to me. Or, you know, I was feeling really sick and, and someone prayed for me or I prayed and God healed me. Or I had this, this need and, and I prayed and, and God provided. Whatever it is, you don't have to be all hyper-spiritual, the four spiritual laws. Just share what Jesus did for you as a part of your conversation. And plant the seed of hope in somebody's life that maybe God can change their life too. Because that's what Jesus did. And we want to be like Jesus. Yeah? Let's pray. While you're sitting there, I just want you to close your eyes. I want everyone to put their hands up in the air. And just say, Holy Spirit, come and fill me. Make me your evangelist in my workplace. In my home life. In my neighborhood in my shopping center, in everywhere that I go, that people will come to know Jesus through me because you are in me. And it's not me doing it. It's you doing it. So this is easy. And I can do it. So I'm going to do it. Tomorrow. Hallelujah. Amen. That's a contract between you and God, by the way. You said it. He takes you at your word. He takes you at your word. All right? God takes what you say seriously. He says that no idle word come out of your mouth. You always got to rev up, not idle. A couple of the guys got that. That's all right. All right? So do it. I challenge you. And then ring me. Text me. Let me know what happened. Let me know how you went. Good, bad, ugly. Let me know. And let's change the world, yeah?